Praise the Lord. Good morning, church. Welcome this morning. We are so glad you're here today. God bless you. Welcome to Pleasant Grove Assembly of God. And we want to wish everyone a happy Palm Sunday. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a wonderful day to be in God's house to celebrate Him. We celebrate our Lord and we remember when He entered into Jerusalem. Amen. His victorious and triumphant entrance into Jerusalem. And then our Passion Week, which leads us into next week to Easter Sunday. Oh, aren't you excited about Easter this year? Amen. Every year we celebrate every day His resurrection. But what a special time of year as we celebrate Easter together. We have a special service with some special music planned for next Sunday. So uh, invite someone to come out. Both services uh, will be ministering with special music. And then in our second service next week, our children will be joining in ministry as well. So invite someone to come. Your family, your friends, neighbors, uh, co-workers, invite them to come next week and we're going to have a great time. So again, that's April the 11th for Easter. And then I have another announcement for us too. And this, I'm sorry, April the 4th is Easter Sunday, next weekend. And then the following Sunday after that, April the 11th, I wanted to announce that Pastor George and Sister Shantae and Kendall, uh, they're actually going to be entering into a new season in their lives. And so that will be the last Sunday that they're with us. And uh, we're going to miss them, but we want to give an opportunity to bless them. Amen. So normally we would like to have a nice big send-off party, but with our COVID restrictions, we're not going to be able to do that. So, But we do want to give an opportunity to bless them. If you want to pick them up a card and be prepared, bless them maybe with a gift. Uh, we want to let them know that we love and appreciate them. They've been with us for 10 years. Amen? And we love and appreciate them. We're going to miss them uh, very much. But uh, we just wanted to give you that opportunity. Praise the Lord. Well, are you ready to worship the Lord today? You're ready to celebrate Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. He is worthy. Amen. Aren't you glad that He laid down His life, that He bled and He died for you and me, and that God raised Him from the dead? Oh, hallelujah. Thank God for an empty tomb. Oh, praise the Lord. Let's stand together this morning and let's celebrate Him today. Let's honor Him today. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, the devil thought he had won, didn't he? When Jesus was nailed to the cross, he thought he had won. (laughs) Oh, but praise God that we are victorious through Jesus Christ who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Amen? Hallelujah. Let's worship the King of glory today. Oh, Father, we love You today. We thank You, Lord God. Father, for this Easter season, Lord. Father, for this Palm Sunday, Lord, and the Passion Week, Lord. Father, we thank You for the story of redemption, Lord. As it begins to unfold this week, Lord God, I pray that You would bless us, Lord God, with a with just a, a fresh fire of Your anointing and a fervency, Lord God, to seek Your face, Lord God, to do Your will, Lord God. Father, we thank You that Jesus died for our sins and that You raised Him victorious. 
gloriously, Lord God. Father, we thank You that because He lives, God, we live. And Father, we come to honor You and to worship You today and to celebrate, Lord God, You today, the King of glory. Father, receive our worship. Lord, let it be a blessing to Your ears, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Spending vanity and pride Caring not my Lord was crucified Knowing that it was for me He died on Calvary Mercy there was great and grace was free Pardon there was multiplied to
within us. We honor and acknowledge you're our Lord, you're our Savior, you're our King. And we thank you for how good you've been to us. We thank you for your faithfulness, your mercy, and your grace. We thank you for the cross of Calvary. 
And we pray this day, Lord, receive our praise. Fill your sanctuary with a strong measure of your presence. Speak to us right now and touch our hearts. Let each one of us be changed by your word and the moving of your spirit. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. They're going to they're gonna tweak just a bit with this new microphone. The other one, we kind of blew a gasket or a wire or something. So we're back to the handheld. That's usually good. That means I don't. we're back to this, the clip-on. If we're at the handheld, then it's like a tent meeting, and we can go too long for some of y'all. So I just get happy. So now we're back to my notes. That sounds better. We sound like we're doing good. I'm just stalling right now. But while we stall, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke's Gospel, Chapter 22, Luke's Gospel, Chapter 22. And what a good-looking service we have here at 9 in the morning. Amen. Amen. I know you probably look better than I do at this time, but I'm telling you, this is good to see everyone. God is so good to us. I want to talk this morning about God's grace in the garden. I love that first song we sang this morning, one of my favorites. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty on Calvary. Amen. And before I went to Calvary, he went to a place called Gethsemane. Where he laid down his will. Be no Calvary without a Gethsemane. If you and I will allow the Holy Spirit to take us back to that night. There are many lessons and encouragements we can glean for our present walk of faith. Luke's Gospel. Chapter 22, let's begin with verse 39. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22, beginning with verse 39. The Bible says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, and he knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup. Take this cup from me, yet not as my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he went back to the disciples and he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping? He asked them, he said, get up, pray, so you won't fall into temptation. And while he was still speaking, a crowd came. And the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, he was leading them and he approached Jesus to kiss him. Jesus asked him, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when Jesus' followers saw what was happening, they said, Lord, should we strike you with our swords? And one of them did. He struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. That was Peter. But Jesus answered, no more of this. Stop it. And he touched the man's ear and he healed it. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guards, the elders, am I leading a rebellion that you've come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Let's spend our time this morning talking about God's grace in the garden, lessons from Gethsemane. Again, we're in the garden of Gethsemane this morning, and this is where Jesus went to pray after celebrating the Passover and having his last supper with his disciples. He came to the garden to pray knowing that this would be the night of his betrayal, the night of his arrest, of his mock trial, the night that would lead to his crucifixion, his sacrifice, and his death. This was the place Jesus often went. And Judas knew that. 
So knowing that he led a band of Roman soldiers and temple guards into the garden to arrest and to seize Jesus. Now, Gethsemane means oil press, literally means place of the press, oil press. It was where they would take the olives off the trees and they'd press those olives to make the wonderful olive oil that we have. So in that place, Jesus, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, would be pressed, would be crushed for you and for me. It would be the place, as the prophet said, He'd be wounded or crushed for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. God's grace in the garden begins with a costly cup. It's um, In our text, we'll see at least three pictures, three symbols to help us understand that night when Jesus laid down his life leading to that cross of Calvary. We'll look at the cup, we'll look at the kiss, and we'll look at the sword this morning. The cup represents the Father's will, and that was Father's will for his beloved Son. And Jesus took the cup and he drank all of it. He said yes to the Father's will. The kiss speaks of or displays the treachery of Judas. He betrayed God's only begotten Son with a kiss. And then the sword, of course. The sword, that demonstrates Peter's carnal response to everything. His haste, his, his flesh, at best his misguided, misplaced bravery. But ultimately, we know Peter, he fought the wrong battle with the wrong weapon. And he actually opposed the plan of God instead of assisting the plan of God. God's grace in the garden begins with a costly cup. Peter had a sword in his hand. Jesus had a cup in his. Peter resisted God's will, but Jesus, he accepted the will of God. The cup represents the suffering Jesus would endure, the separation from the Father that he would experience on the cross of Calvary. Now, Jesus, being the Son of God, he knew full well that he would rise again. Yet his soul, his soul was in experiencing terrible agony as he anticipated what laid before him. In the hours that lay before him, there would be the humiliation, the abuse, the mocking. Made to suffer the shame and pain of a cross, of a criminal's cross, the injustice of it all. But more than that, he would be made a sin offering for you and for me. And there he would be separated from the Father, something that had never, ever happened in eternity of time. And he called this experience drinking the cup. Drinking the cup. Now we have to remember our struggle or our Savior struggle can only be understood when we see it in the light of what would happen on the cross. The struggle that Jesus had in the Garden of Gethsemane has to be seen in the context of where it was leading him to. Because you and I that know the Lord and understand our Bibles, we know that Jesus was not a mere martyr, but he was the Lamb of God, taking upon himself the penalty of the sins of the entire world for you and for me. This is where um, the wrath of a thrice holy God would be turned loose on his only begotten son to redeem us, to be that atoning sacrifice for us. Think of the burden and the agony of the garden, of the Savior's cup. Mark's Gospel says Jesus fell to the ground as he prayed. So great was the pressing. And Luke's Gospel that we just read, it said he prayed under such pressure, such anguish that it was like sweat, like drops of blood were falling to the ground. And God's grace in the garden is that our Savior said yes to the cup and he drank it all for you and for me. I thank God for that garden. I thank God for the grace of that cup. Can you say amen? In the cup we see mercy and we see grace. 
we see grace. Grace basically means God gives us what we don't deserve. Salvation, forgiveness, heaven. Mercy speaks about God holding back what we do deserve. He doesn't give us what we do deserve. Judgment and justice for our sins. The due penalty of our transgressions. Now, one preacher explained it like this. The fact that you live a better life, that you do better things, that maybe you're a nicer person, and a, it might make you a better neighbor, but it doesn't make you fit for heaven. That only happens by grace. Suppose three men decided they wanted to leave the West Coast and swim all the way to Hawaii. Well, one may swim farther than the others, but all three would end up dead because Hawaii's too far. You know what? God's too high. God's too holy for you and I, even in our best days, weeks, or years, to make ourselves acceptable to Him. Our salvation is based on God's grace in and found in Jesus Christ. You see, grace says God is giving us something. You and I, we don't deserve it. By grace are we saved, the Bible says. The Bible says salvation is a gift from God. No one can boast. We don't earn it. We receive it by receiving Jesus. The costly cup in the garden speaks of the grace of God, but also speaks of the mercy of God. I read a story about a man that he had his picture taken and he was upset when he looked at it. So he went back and he rushed into the photographer's office and said, hey, 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 look at this picture. This picture doesn't do me justice. The photographer looked at him and said, Mister, with a face like yours, you don't need justice. You need mercy. (laughs) You need mercy. And I want you to know that's exactly the situation you and I are in. Apart from God, we we don't need justice. Be be very careful when you ask God for justice. We we need a whole lot of mercy. The Bible talks of mercy as when God holds back. It doesn't give me what I really do deserve. And that's judgment for my sins. I was guilty and I deserved it. But God, the Bible says, because He is rich in mercy... On the cross of Calvary, He held back from me what I deserved, and He laid it fully on His only begotten, sinless Son. So we look at that. The Bible says that today, in fact, is a day called the day of grace. The hour in which we live. So if you're listening to me and your heart's not right with God, if you're listening to me and you strayed from the path or somehow you've never said yes to Christ, today is your day where God's arms are open wide. It's a day of grace where God says, you might not deserve it, but through my Son, you can come and receive it. You might not be worthy in yourself, but if you humbly come through my Son, I'll receive you and I'll embrace you and I'll make you who you were made to be and I'll wipe out all your sins and I'll give you a new beginning. Friend, respond to the grace and the goodness of God. We all need grace and we all need mercy and we're thankful this morning that all can be found in Jesus Christ. Now, to drink the cup means to you and I to go through a difficult experience and say yes to the will of God. We can learn a valuable lesson here as we glean this thought from Jesus. You see, Jesus was able to accept to drink of the cup because he knew it was mixed, measured, and it was given to him from his Father. Therefore, he received the cup and did the Father's will and finished the Father's work. When we understand as believers, when we understand our times are in his hands, that our steps are ordered by our God, that when we walk in the will of God, there's great, great security in that. Because in that we know our Father is in control. We're in His care, 
And whatever we're called on to face, whatever cup we're called on to drink, we recognize his grace will be sufficient for us to do it and do it in a way that glorifies the Father and helps us to live the life he's called us to live. We need never fear the cups in the Father's hands. Instead, we should follow the example of our Lord. Let's look a little closer of how Jesus responded to the cup in the garden. In verse 42, Jesus surrenders his will in prayer. Let me suggest to you the most important thing is not the strength of God. It's surrendering your will to the will of God. A lot of times people pray for strength. Strength's usually not the issue. Strength will come after there's a surrender. The problem that most of us face when we're called to go down a path we're not crazy about is we don't want to go down it. So we, we reject it, we buck against it, we kick against the goals. But the real key to victory is in our surrender to the will and to the ways of God. And as we yield to that, we find the grace and the strength we need to walk it out. Let's look a little closer. Verse 42, Jesus, number one, he surrenders his will to God in prayer. He says, not my will. That's a good key for all of us. Friend, accept the will of God. Submit to the will of God. Embrace the will of God. Don't try to rewrite the will of God to please self. Don't try to ignore the will of God and make excuses. Follow the example of our Lord. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't convenient. In fact, it would be costly. But he knew that he knew it was the will of the Father. I'm not saying accept things the devil throws at you, but there's a time when you know the Father calls you to do a certain thing, to walk a different path. And his expectation of you and I is that we would do things the way he wants us to do things, in a way that brings him glory. And we learn from Jesus, one of the first keys, he surrenders his will to God in prayer. Verse 42. Now, verse 43, we see that in prayer, he finds the support and strength he needs to say yes. As he's praying, the angel came and gave him strength. And as you and I pray, we tap into the grace of the Holy Spirit. We tap into the strength that enables us to say, yes, Lord. I'll do that the right way. Yes, Lord. I'll do that thing and I'll keep a good attitude about it. Yes, Lord. I'll choose to trust you and not fret as I have to walk through this walk. Jesus surrenders. Jesus finds strength. In our time of prayer, we find strength to do the will of God. And then verse 46, Jesus, after praying through, after he prayed through, he teaches you and I that the power to overcome Inwardly, the power to overcome the trials, the challenges of life are found in prayer. He simply says to his men, hey, wake up. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. He's saying you won't fall and you won't falter. You won't succumb to the pressure and the temptation if you pray and spend time getting the victory in the prayer closet where God will allow your will to submit to Him. And in that submission, you'll find grace and strength to face what you have to face and do what you have to do and do it all for the glory of God, just like Jesus. As Jesus battles in prayer, let's notice four things from the Garden of Gethsemane. Number one, let's notice the agony of our Savior, the agony of Jesus. William Barclay writes this. He says, every man has his private Gethsemane and every man has to learn to say, thy will be done. Enduring, accepting what can't be seen, what can't be understood and what can't be avoided. But nevertheless, through the groaning of Gethsemane, through the pressing, through the dying of self, Child of God, we're still able to say, Thy will be done, or as Job said, Blessed be Thy name. There's the agony of the Gethsemanes. Don't think you can avoid this. 
Don't think Christianity is some kind of an escape or denial of life. That's the farthest thing from Bible truth. That's nonsense. It's not real. Anyone that's honest knows that it isn't real. But it's in and through those things. We have the grace of God and the mercy of God and the strength of God to endure them and to endure them in a way that glorifies our God and our King. We see in the garden, Jesus experienced the agony. We'll experience our Gethsemanes in life. We'll go through things and we don't know why and there's no reason. But all we can do is say yes to the will of God and rely on the strength of God. Secondly, notice the loneliness of Jesus. If you've ever gone through a Gethsemane, you know they're usually pretty lonely. He took his chosen three, but they were exhausted and they went to sleep. Jesus had to fight this battle alone. You see, certain things and certain experiences and decisions we have to make in the loneliness of our soul. We battle, um, how do we say this? In the loneliness of the soul, we battle. Many times others just, just, they're not there. Or they forsake us, they fail us, or whatever the reason, they can't help us, they're just human. But in the loneliness of that time, for the child of God, child of God for you, in the loneliness of that time, remember that the presence of the one who went through his Gethsemane, went through it victoriously, he's with you in your Gethsemanes to help you, and to strengthen you, and to support you when nothing else can and no one else can. There is the presence of the one who in his Gethsemane experienced everything. And he went through it, and so can you. You're not alone when you go through the trials of life. You're not by yourself, even though men at times can't understand you. Men at times are limited, and they're weak to help you. Know that you know your loving Savior that went through His Gethsemane so many years ago will be with you through every Gethsemane life ever demands you to walk through. He'll be there to give you strength. He'll be there to hold you up. He'll be there to give you His peace. He'll do what no one else can do. For the Bible says He is touched. With the feelings of our infirmities. He's not indifferent to them. They're not foreign to Him. But Jesus who went through His Gethsemane is able to enter into our Gethsemanes for He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities and He's able to be there when we go through our trials and our sorrows and our struggles. He enters into those things and He gives us grace and He strengthens our hands and He walks with us through every step of the way. Somebody say Amen. Thank God that in the loneliness of our Gethsemanes, He is there. That in the trying times of life, He is there. When there's no one that we can talk to that really can help us, He is there. And we thank God for that. We thank God for the cross. We thank God for the garden, the cup that Jesus drank. He went through the agony of that garden. He went through the loneliness of Gethsemane. Notice the trust of Jesus in this time in His life. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, as he's praying, Father, you want this cup? You can take the cup. I'll accept the cup. When he's praying that, he uses the words, Abba, Father. Mark 14 and 36, Jesus actually prayed during this time. And something interesting. But many times when people, that their faith is weak or their faith is shallow, their biggest prayers are, where's God when I'm going through it? But those that really walk close to God know that he's there even when I'm going through the harshness of it. We see the trust of Jesus. He actually prayed, Abba, Father. In the midst of the agonizing pressure of the garden, the terrible unknown of drinking the cup, the cross, yet through that all, there was still a childlike trust that rises to the top as Jesus begins to pray. And friend, in your hour of anguish, you can trust Him and you can entrust the situation to Him. Don't lose your faith. Don't let go of hope. 
But recognize He is there. Your heavenly Father is there. The one that said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He is there. So even in those times, you can trust God and you can entrust the situation to God and you can rest in that care and know for certain He that began the good work in you, He's going to complete that work and He's going to walk with you every step of the way. Jesus is in the garden. He's going through the agony that we go through in Gethsemane. He goes through the loneliness. We see the trust of Christ. And finally, there's the courage of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing to learn how to go to the throne of grace and pray through. Because even when we endure all these things as we tap into God, we begin to get a strength that wasn't our own. We begin to tap into a peace and a strength and a clarity that we didn't have in our natural man. We see the courage of Jesus. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and verse 36, or 46, I should say, when Jesus gets done praying, He says these words, Rise, let's go, here comes my betrayer. And there's something interesting in those words. You see, the time of prayer was over, and now it was the time for action. In prayer, we find strength to rise up and face life, not to avoid it. You see, Jesus rose from His knees to go and face life, to do the Father's will. Let me say that again. To do it, not to run from it, not to deny it. Again, He says these words in Matthew 26. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. You see, prayer is not an escape from battle. It's preparation for battle. Prayer is not avoiding The responsibility, it's a prelude to rising up in confidence and doing the Father's will, no matter how dark, no matter how dangerous, no matter how daring the night comes and the challenge is. That's what prayer is to you and I. For us that know the Lord, it's in prayer that man kneels before God, that he might stand strong before men and devils. It's in prayer that we enter into heaven, that we might come and face and fight the battles we have on this earth. This is prayer. The ability to face those steep paths of this journey of faith, those painful nights of this journey of faith. It's the ability to um, look at the hard places of obedience inside thy will be done. It's the ability to know that victory comes for you and I when we get along with God until the will is surrendered and our faith is assured. Therefore, Jesus says to each one of us, as He said to His disciples so long ago, pray so you won't fall. Pray so you won't fail. He says, pray so you won't fall. Fall away. Pray so you won't fall. Fall apart. Pray so you won't fall from the place of faith and grace that you've attained. So you won't go backwards, but you'll go forward even though at times the journey is steep and the night is dark, but in prayer we find a grace in the submission of our soul. There's a grace from heaven to face things and do things as a child of God ought to do them. Can you say amen? You and I received grace in the garden because Jesus, He prayed through and accepted the will or the cup of the Father. A lesson for you and I when we face our trying times and must drink our cup. Let's never forget as we seek strength from on high, Our inner man will be ready when the cross comes our way. If we'll seek help from heaven, from the Almighty, we'll have the strength we need to meet all the demands of this life. And we find it in prayer. The healing, the helping, the enabling, the power of heaven that is found nowhere else. We look at our story. Number one, the cup, Jesus. Grace in the garden. We see a cup. Secondly, we see a treacherous kiss. Now, the cup is what Jesus took and He drank it. And we give Him praise for it. Now the traitor's kiss. 
We see in Luke 22, verses 47 and 48. This is Judas. You know, Judas used to kiss as a sign to tell the officers who Jesus was so they could arrest him. Now, Judas had been with Jesus perhaps three years listening to him, sitting at his feet, watching him minister, but he never really knew him, did he? In fact, he brought a whole company of guards and soldiers, yet Jesus was in control. Jesus willingly gave his life. It's amazing. In John's Gospel, Jesus said, No man takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. You know, in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says, Don't you know I could pray? And in an instant, the Father would send legions of angels to protect me and to guard me. And in fact, in John's Gospel, when they said, Where's Jesus of Nazareth? He goes, I am He! And they all fell down. I mean, the whole group, they all fell. So Jesus was never out of control. Judas never really knew Him, did He? No, 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 no. Judas kissed him repeatedly. A kiss, of course, was a sign of affection and devotion, but the traitor used it to sell out the Savior. Dr. Wiersbe writes, When people today pretend to know and love the Lord, they're committing the sin of Judas. It's bad enough to betray Christ, but to do it with a kiss, a sign of affection, is the basest treachery of all. The kiss speaks of the pretender, um, playing games with God's mercy and grace. Friend, it's no time to play church. It's no time to live a double life. It's time to be real and genuine and bold as we serve our Lord sincerely and unashamedly and continually. He wasn't ashamed of us. As Paul is very now reflecting quickly. Three lessons as Jerusalem slept that night. Number one, we recognize everyone must endure Gethsemane. But God meets us there as we look to Him. A lonely, pressing place where we learn to say yes And we learn to surrender and trust God. Secondly, we learn from this garden that everyone will experience betrayal. It's one of those bitter pills life forces us to swallow. A close friend, a trusted co-worker, maybe a family member, a family member. The heartache of betrayal. Friend, don't let it poison your soul. Don't let it embitter your outlook or your attitude in life. David had his Absalom. Paul had his Demas. Jesus had his Judas. But for every bruise of betrayal, there is a bomb of healing from the Savior if you look to Him and bring that pain to Him. Everyone has experienced the cup, the kiss, and now the sword. We learn from the garden that everyone has experienced failure. Peter is our example for that. But we learn from Peter, thank God, it doesn't have to be final. This is the useless sword. We've seen the cup that Jesus drank. We've seen the kiss that Judas used. And now here's the sword, the useless sword of Peter. Peter attacks. Peter attacks. This is verses 49 and 50. Now, if you read the whole story, we all know Peter wasn't having a good night, was he? Peter, things were, he wasn't having a good night and things were about to get worse. I mean, he spoke when he should have listened. He boasted when he should have stayed humble. He slept when he should have prayed. And now he fights when he should submit. Peter wasn't having a good night. How about that? Ever have a night like that? Peter responds hastily. In the flesh, angrily. He's impatient. He's impulsive. Again, Jesus could have called out legions of angels. What's Peter one sword going to do when Jesus can just say the word? Again, in John's account, Jesus said, I am he. And they all fell down under the power of God. Well, no, Jesus don't need a bodyguard. How many know that? Amen? (laughs) I know. I know. Jesus wasn't there to fight. He was there to submit and offer his life as the Lamb of God. He submitted and followed the Father's plan. But because Peter failed in prayer, 
He responded in the flesh. You can mean well, but when you're not a person of prayer, you'll respond in the flesh an awful lot. You can love God, but if you're not a person of prayer, you'll miss it because you're not tapped into what God is really saying and the deeper messages that God's trying to bring. And Jesus yells to Peter, Peter, put away your sword! Peter, don't you know that those that engage in carnal warfare will perish by it? Peter, don't you know that you don't win the spiritual battles, the Lord's battles, by resisting the cross, but by taking up your cross? Peter, don't you realize you will never advance the kingdom and the will of God by fleshly schemes and words and deeds, for His kingdom's not of this world. But oh, God's grace in the garden. I thank the Lord this morning that God's grace was in the garden. There was grace for Peter's failure. There was grace for Malcolm's wound as Jesus healed that ear. And of course, there was grace for a sinful world that we've all received. Had Jesus taken a sword instead of a cup, where would you and I be this morning? And instead of saving himself, thank God he chose to save us. Each one of us must decide whether we will go through life pretending like Judas, fighting like Peter, or yielding to God's perfect will like Jesus. Will it be the kiss, the sword? Will it be the cup? Three thoughts as we close in prayer. God's grace in the garden, number one, means that you can be saved. Because Jesus drank that cup and he said yes to the will of the Father. And went to the cross. If you're listening to me, you can make heaven your home. If you strayed from God, you can come back and receive forgiveness. This grace in the garden speaks that today is the day of grace. Where God's arms are open and what Jesus accomplished is available for you. Grace in the garden means come, get right with God. Come, make things right with God. But secondly, this speaks to you and I about the importance of praying through. A key for every sincere believer is to learn how to pray through. Because we can't avoid the Gethsemanes of life. We can't avoid the trying times of life. And I'm going to say it again, the key, and we pray all the time, give me more strength. More strength is not the key. The key is give me a yielded heart. Because the biggest thing we face, the biggest thing I face when I go through a trial, it's not so much the strength to do this or that, it's the ability within to accept the cup that the Father has given to me. And if you'll learn how to say yes to the Father, you'll find strength to do, strength to deal, strength to address. Let's learn the importance of how to pray through a key for going through this life. And lastly, here's our thought. Is there anyone ignoring the cup this morning? Very personal between you and God. Very safe because we're not able to open our altars in the normal way because of everything. But it's very private, but you need to answer that question. Anyone ignoring your cup? I want to encourage you to take the cup. Follow the example of Jesus and trust your Heavenly Father. Commit yourself and your situation to the Lord and let Him have His way and make up your mind you're going to do it His way. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we thank You so much for the lessons that we learned in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, we thank You so much for the example of Jesus the warnings from Peter and Judas. And Lord, we're just going to ask You to help us. Each one of us, we want to be the best Christians we can be.
We love you, Lord, and we want to serve you. Help us to apply these wonderful insights from Jesus, how we went through this. He went through it victoriously, and that's what we want to do. We want to follow his example and please him and please you. Father, we thank you this morning that your strength is available for our Gethsemanes. And as someone's going through an especially hard time this morning, Father, as they look to you and yield themselves afresh to you, give them grace, give them strength, give them peace, give them the wisdom they need to walk through it in a way that honors your name. Father, we thank you that Jesus took the cup, that Jesus said yes to your will, and he went to the cross for us, not for him, but for us. We say, Jesus, thank you that you said yes to the will of the Father. You went to the cross. And now, Lord, help us to follow your example as we do our very best to live this Christian life. Father God, bless your people. Strengthen the struggling this morning. Fill the thirsty this morning. Heal the hurting this morning. Father, I pray and use each one this week for your glory. Now, Father, help us to remember these lessons. Help us to apply these lessons. And whatever we're facing in the coming day, the coming weeks, Lord, help us to face them knowing that the one that went through his Gethsemane victoriously is with us as we go through our Gethsemanes to give us strength and to help us go through victoriously. Now, Father, bless and use these dear ones for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you on Wednesday.